Hey, another great episode of Roundup is coming up next. If you like what you heard, please go online to redsearadio.org and donate, become a monthly sustaining member, and keep us on the air. Thank you and God bless. Good morning and welcome to Red Sea Roundup. Today I am your host. Actually, I am Judy Como on every day, but today I'm here at the station and I'm the host. So happy to be here celebrating the first day of fall. Beautiful, crystal clear, Hail Mary blue sky outside. Nice, comfortable weather. Had a little patio time this morning. And I'm just so happy to be here with you. I'm welcoming all of our listeners from across our listening area. If you're here in the Bryan College Station area listening on 88.5 KEDC, all our friends over in Central Texas, KYAR 98.3 and KINF 107.9 in Palestine, I I'm here with the head guys, both of y'all, Thaddeus Romanski and Dennis Maka. Good morning to both of y'all. Good morning, Judy. Good morning, Judy. Y'all. How about some South in our mouth today? Great to y'all. see you. Great to be seen. Missed you guys. We had the whole month of August of not seeing each other. It's been a heck of a month. Yes, yeah. it has. <laughs> but we're here. Um, if you're Lots of ups and downs. Stick around for the second portion of the show. Uh, Thaddeus is going to be my guest. We're going to reboot. The Thaddeus reboot. That's what I told Barbara <laughs> this morning. Um, revisit a talk that we had the, uh, two months ago about the Catholic Church and history. And mm-hmm. then we're going to take off from uh, the... Catholic Church here in the United States since Vatican II. So Mm -hmm. um, would welcome any calls or comments or questions during that time. You can do that at 855-683-7332. Any of my posse can surely text me a question. And if I happen to look down at my phone, I will relate that question and open it up for conversation. Yeah, that'd be great. You bet. So I want to invite... Thaddeus and Dennis to join me and our listening audience in our prayer to St. Joseph this morning. Year of St. Joseph. Year of St. Joseph, celebrating. So we pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. O blessed Joseph, faithful guardian of my Redeemer, Jesus Christ, protector of your chaste spouse, the Virgin Mother of God, I choose you this day to be my special patron and advocate and I firmly resolve to honor you all the days of my life. Therefore, I humbly call on you to receive me as your adopted child, to instruct me in every doubt, to comfort me in every affliction, to obtain from me all the knowledge and love of the Sacred Heart of Jesus, and finally, to defend and protect me at the hour of my death. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Amen. Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. want to uh, talk about a few things that are going on here in Bryan and College Station. Coming up this weekend, we will join St. Thomas Aquinas in their yearly, I guess it's yearly. Wow. Aquinas Fest. Aquinas Fest. Back. Uh, 
Yes, indeed. So it's going to be September the 24th, 25th, and 26th. We have games, family fun, live auction, bingo. I think their meal, that's one of the meals that's going to be served is a fish fry along with hot dogs and burgers. Uh, lots of information at their website, or you can call St. Thomas Aquinas for more information. St. S-T-A-B-C-S. Boy, <laughs> some of these websites are a little <laughs> difficult. St. Anthony's has to have that S in there or you won't get to their oh, proper yeah. website. So S-T-A-B-C-S dot org backslash Aquinas Fest. So I know they would. Love to. It's going to be a beautiful weekend and lots of fun. I've not attended that uh, festival before either of you guys. We yes, I have, and we've done a, a number of times. We've done a live broadcast from from Aquinas Fest. We're not going to be able to this year, but um, we have been there in the past pretty regular basis, wouldn't you say, Dennis? Yeah, we've been there for a number of years in a row. We uh, because of uh, scheduling conflicts and. <clears throat> as you can hear my voice and possibly Thaddeus's voice later on, some little bit of COVID conflicts that we've had, <laughs> uh, a lack of energy, let's say, uh, to be able to put on such an event. Um, but scheduling conflicts and some things have prevented us from being able to broadcast live from there this year. Uh, but hopefully in the, the, the future, we'll be able to broadcast from many a festival in our area. Absolutely. Yeah, we love getting out in the community. We love uh, drawing attention to your event. So if you have an event coming up that you might be like uh, Red Sea to be present at, uh, let us know. Let us get on the calendar. Be let fun. us get it on the calendar. It's fun. It's a lot of fun. St. Anthony's, I mentioned just a moment ago, my home parish, St. Anthony's over in Bryan. Mm -hmm. We'll have their 57th Annual Bazaar, Sunday, October the 10th. It will be a virtual event this year. Uh, we'll have online bidding for the auction. You can get all that information at St. St. Anthony's Facebook page or their website. There will be um, drive through barbecue plates. You can have a wine and dine. Um, you buy a bottle of wine. It's got a gift card on there. They have... Usually uh, range from about $30, but goes on up to uh, a nice meal at Christopher's. Mm -hmm. And if you've eaten there, you know that that's a nicer uh, gift card to receive. Uh, lots of information. There'll be barbecue meal, beef, chicken, and sausage, two sides, and a dessert. Um, so that's on October the 10th. I have another October 10th festival in Westphalia. So if you go out to Westphalia, um, where they're still, I believe, rebuilding their church, they're having their 114th annual picnic with fried chicken and homemade sausage plates for $12 each. They're going to have a live action, live auction, that is, raffle, bingo, family games, and uh, Jerry Heisler and the Melody Five bands there from 11 to 2. So they've got a live band, live auction, and things going on in the, in the Church of the Visitation annual picnic, 114th edition. In Westphalia. Wow. Uh, I know a lot of people that just travel around the diocese mm -hmm. going from festival to festival, and uh, it's a great, great way to celebrate our Catholicity. I mm -hmm. think they call those Festifarians. You do? Mm hmm <laughs> Never heard of that. I like it. You caught me. You got me speechless, Thaddeus. <laughs> that, that doesn't happen very often. Yeah, I do what I can. Festifarian. Festifarian. New word of the day, folks. I like it. 
Yeah. Well, there you go. So there's there's a number of events that are going on around our, our listening areas, both in the Waco and in the uh, Brian Call Station. Yeah. How about and, how about a pretty big event that has a lot to do with us at Red Sea Radio, and a lot to do with the year of Saint Joseph? Mm, go to Joseph. We have a annual benefit dinner. We actually have two of them in a row on the 11th and the 12th of November coming up. We are welcoming in Adam Minahan and David Niles. Catholic Man Show. Catholic Man Show dudes. And uh, I don't think they'll be bringing their bottles of bourbon, but we may have some other adult festival drinks there for them. We will indeed, actually. That might be part of their honorarium package. We might we may we may pay them in kind rather than paying them in, uh, <laughs> pay them in bourbon. Some of the stuff they drink on their show is we'll actually see. kind of kind of pricey. So it is. It is. But yeah, we're going to welcome these guys in and they're going to be talking about go to Joseph and uh, you know, what else during this year of Joseph. So it's going to be a Joseph Festivalarian, whatever it's called. <laughs> Joseph Festifarians. Festifarians. So uh, we want you to come on the 11th here in the Brazos Valley to the Brazos Center, which is a Thursday night, November 11th. You can reserve your tables and tickets now. We are uh, about a one-fourth the way to capacity already, which is pretty good for this time of year. And our our big goal for this year for both both festivals, it is going to be festivals, both benefit dinners, is we want more first-time attendees than ever before, with yeah. the exception of the very first benefit dinner when everyone there was a everyone. first-time attendee, <laughs> as Dennis so cleverly pointed out to me when we were discussing this. We still can eclipse that number, though, you know? Yeah, yeah. But we would, we really would like to see people who have never come before be there to experience uh, the fun and the, I think, the spiritual edification that we usually try yeah, to give you through the the speakers that we have and uh and the the community connection that we provide at the the benefit dinner so it's please, a blast if you've never come and you've always kind of wanted to or you've you know please please uh get a ticket now um those of you who have reserved tables please reach out to to neighbors maybe family members fill your uh, table parish acquaintances who you've not seen it a benefit dinner before and uh, invite them give them an invitation right mm-hmm. evangelize help evangelize yeah, for I, you our you know benefit i think that dinner. it's very interesting uh like our par- St. Anthony's Parish hosts a table, and a couple of our parishioners host tables. Mm-hmm. And as it comes, for, you know, I'll get, hey, Judy, do you want to sit at this table? I, I'm already at this one. Mm-hmm. That's what a eight people sit at a table eight per table. You know, mm-hmm. I think there's a few more people in your parish mm-hmm. than oh yeah, uh, 34, 32, 34 people. Reach yep. out, you know, and and also if I can also say, kind of spinning off of that, Judy, you know. Give your give your par- your pastors your priests some inv- inv- invite them to your table invite your deacons um, more clergy the better gonna, they're not going to have to they're not going to have to work that night it, it's going to be they can come mm-hmm. have a nice meal listen to the speaker um, have a little wine have a little beer. wine relax they don't have to be on that night. Yep. Invite them. Invite them to come. We'd love them to be there. And likewise, we also have the next day right. our benefit dinner in Waco. We're going to do back-to-back this year, folks, so it's the first time. What? Yeah, I forgot to tell you that. Back-to-back? Yeah, so we're going to have to be on our A-game that those days. So back-to-back November 12th is 
our benefit dinner in the Waco area. It's going to be at the West KC Hall again this year, and we hope to pack it again this year. we got tables of eight. If you can't afford a table, we've got individual tickets that are now available as well. If you go to our website at redcradio.org, red, then the letter C, radio.org, you click on Adam and David's picture of them giving each other a toast on our front page, and you can click that picture and go straight to our benefit also dinner Also, go to our Facebook page, our Instagram page, the post for the benefit dinner pinned to the top. It's pinned right there. They're giving each other cheers. Yep. You can go to our app, and it's on our app, our Facebook section. You can click on it there. So lots of ways to get to it, folks, but uh, it's only one benefit dinner, and we hear it's the funnest in town. I agree. We want new faces. I agree. Love yeah. to have new faces. Uh, Come I'd out, like to uh, talk about a saint that I've been looking forward yes. to this date for a, a couple of weeks now for a couple of different reasons. I was mm-hmm. introduced to St. Padre Pio uh, as a teenager, had never heard much about it, but my great aunt had a devotion to Padre Pio who actually met him, went to confession to him and wow. did a lot of a lot of work her entire life to promote While he devotion. heard her confession? He heard her confession. She had a first-class relic, a pendant that had a piece of a scab from the stigmata that she wore around her neck. That's and uh, so I was just wow. grateful to, to know about this powerhouse of a saint. And as many saints do, there's so much to know about him. It was really hard to narrow this down. But uh, the reason that I've been looking forward to this date tomorrow is that our Office manager, Caitlin Brightwell, um, mm-hmm. will de- deliver her our little tater tot tomorrow <laughs> yep. morning, and we knew that it was falling yep. on this, yep. so I've been asking for his intercession. Uh, if you don't know much about St. Padre Pio, he was a friar, a priest. He received the stigmata at a very early age, and a, a, the stigmata is the sufferings of Christ. Um, on his hands, feet, side. He, a lot of his life was weak from the having those uh, open wounds. Uh, he was had the gift of bilocation. He, people stood in long lines to go to confession to him, and he, he would sometimes say, come back when you're really serious about confession because I know you're not telling me everything. So um, we asked for his intercession for Caitlin and all safety of uh, her delivery tomorrow morning. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the many prayers of St. Padre Pio. May Lord, Lord Jesus comfort you in all your afflictions. May he assist you in dangers. Watch over you at all times with his grace. May he make you always dearer to his divine heart and always more deserving of paradise. Amen. Amen. Stick with us. The Thaddeus Romanski on Coming after up. the break. Welcome back to Red Sea Roundup. If you're just joining us, I'm your host, Judy Como. Today, my guest is Thaddeus Romanski. I'm so happy that we're going to 
revisit a couple of things that we talked about a couple of months ago. Um, Thaddeus was gracious to come to my Bible study, and as I understand, they were a little too chatty that you didn't get to uh, complete everything that you wanted to. They were very eager participants. They asked a lot of questions. Right. It wasn't like they were just being distracting. It was great questions. And I mean, there great... might have been one paper airplane that flew through the yeah. air, but I don't think that's, that was it. Okay. Well, we're going to not have that today for sure. Okay. That I can assure Thank you. you of. Thank you. But uh, so just, you know, put your hand up if I'm asking you too many questions so we can okay. power through this. But okay. today we're going to... Uh, revisit a little bit about the Catholic Church prior to Vatican II here in America, right. and then move on to um, some more, lots of information about the Catholic Church since Vatican II. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. welcome. Thank you for being here. Yeah, I'm glad to be back. I thought I'd, uh, I thought I'd first throw out here that uh, James, the letter of James, chapter three, verse one. Maybe you're familiar with this verse. St. James wrote, Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, for you know that we who teach shall be judged with greater strictness. Mm-hmm. So I just would ask everyone's prayers that I'm uh, kind of putting myself out here as a you know, a teacher, teacher. A, a teacher on this subject and um, that I... I do my best and I, I speak clearly because I don't want to uh, misrepresent the past. Um, and, and I'm not a, you know, for a little bit of my background, I do have a PhD in American history. I was, my focus was on the civil war era. Um, but I'm also a Catholic. And so I've always been interested in Catholic history, mm-hmm. church history. And maybe I'm trying to, and I, I particularly I've been interested in, well, you know, what's my, what's the background of me? You know, I'm, I'm a Catholic in the United States. My family came to this country in the 18, you know, 1870s to 1890s period. Um, Same. You know, I'm, I'm the descendant of Italian and Irish and Ukrainian uh, immigrants. Also got a little English and Scots in there too. Danish, little tiny slices. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, so I'm the product of that great immigration that we tra- we talked about last time, 1890 to 1920. So I've just always been interested in, well, what has been the historical experience of American Catholics and what, what, has, what created the American Catholic, you know, experience that I, that I had growing up. You had one too. Dennis had one too, because mm-hmm. <clears throat> all three of us in this room are cradle Catholics, <laughs> as they say, right? Um, Fingers in the air. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so um, I'm just, well, all I'm trying to do with this, um, you know, talk, for lack of a better word, yeah. is I'm just trying to apply some of my professional training and expertise and, you know, knowledge of the larger scope of American history to this particular topic that really I'm, I'm kind of coming to as a, as an amateur, you know, so I'm doing the best that I, that I can and trying to, to give a clear picture. So I think it's an interesting day to, uh, to talk about this topic on though, especially the direction we're going to, going to take it in. Oh, I, I agree. I think because 
sometimes when our faith and actual history that's not coming, you know, history from a secular standpoint, a lot of times people have questions, you know, all the way back to Jesus, but there's actual historical documentation of, yes, this guy died and then, you know, the resurrection or things like that. So history supports our faith in so many ways, but um, Most certainly. for people who are my age, I just turned 64, so I, I recall when Vatican II took place. I mean, I didn't know it had a name at the time, but mm-hmm. I do recall all of a sudden the priest had, was facing us and the changes yeah. in the yeah. actual, how it affected me that here exper- in the parish. Right, that experience, yes. your experience of your Catholic faith changed mm-hmm. and it changed pretty quickly compared to most other of your probably most of your experience up to that point had had probably been uh characterized by stability right sameness yeah for sure yeah so i I think it's an interesting day to talk about this because when i was coming in i was listening to uh to red sea and patrick madrid happened to be talking about the fact that um Apple announced today. I heard that myself. That they were going to provide, um, that they were going to pay for the expenses of employees who resided in Texas um, seeking an abortion outside of Texas as a result. So this is fallout from that, from the heartbeat law. Right. Um, And then he went on to talk about there's an Apple joining a number of, I don't think he, I don't think Apple did join the suit, but there's also a suit um, being brought against Texas about the heartbeat law by a number of corporations um, like Lyft and Uber, mm-hmm. two, two of the ones that are, are mentioned in this suit. Including our federal government, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, and so I think that this is a, this is a, a day on, in which it's pretty, clear that the powers that be, the cultural forces, corporations in this case, are moving very decidedly to one side or the other on an issue that is very clearly defined by our Catholic faith and by our Catholic teaching. And as those kinds of things happen more and more often, and this is not this is not the first instance of that sort of thing being evident, but I think we are kind of history is repeating itself because last time we talked about how most of American Catholic history, going back to the the colonial period and before, especially in the 13 English colonies, was characterized by an exile. Mm-hmm. So you had that cultural kind of center, that cultural mainstream, you might say. Um, and Catholics were really outside of that. They were kept away from that. They were, there were not very many of them, but from the colonial period 
all the way through, you know, to the really the beginnings of the 20th century, that's what characterized Catholic life was was exile from the cultural mainstream, yeah, right? I, and that was really eye-opening to hear that. I guess I, I probably never pondered it, but it was um, interesting to see that it was almost as if um, Catholics were a, you know, like you had Italians, English, Irish, Catholics, like it was a almost a uh, separate culture. Ethnic, yeah, because <laughs> I talked ethnicity. Talk, yeah, yeah, that I was the word last I was time struggling. about Catholicism being um, like an ethnic marker, and then they were also a people set apart by their creed and the way that they worshipped the practices. Right. Yeah. So um, you know, the mass was just so different, especially the Tridentine mass. Um, the the Latin Mass was so different from most Protestant forms of worship, um, and then you had all those catalog of beliefs that we talked about, you know, and that our listeners are familiar with um, the devotion to the Blessed Mother, prayer practices like the Rosary, mm-hmm. um, on and on and on. So yeah. There was a lot of lot of distinctiveness, strangeness, weirdness about Catholicism and Catholic life, and uh, and their the, ashes their, on your forehead. Their, yeah, and the church organization, you know, it being very hierarchical. And we talked about mm-hmm. how that was so, seen as very um, suspicious politically, civilly, that uh, Catholics were you know, they were they, they were under the control of their parish priest who had to answer to the bishop and then and all the bishops in the in the country had to answer to the pope and he was this foreign sovereign who even you know at that time wore the three-tiered uh, tiara the triple crown tiara um, that he was this this monarch right um, of an of a country the papal states until 1870 uh, so that made many 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 American Protestants suspicious of Catholics' loyalty to the country, right? Um, so, yeah. Anything, anything else that you want me to to recover about about that ground? Uh, that I think that kind of brings period? us right up to, you yeah. know, encapsulates what we talked about at yeah, our so last then, time. So then, to to keep kind of refreshing. So then, you what I put out there was that Catholics then had this emergence period, which I'm saying is like 1917 to 1945. Um, And the reason I picked those dates is because 1917 is the American entry into World War I, and 1945 is the end of World War II, and World War I, the Great Depression, and World War II, those were the three kind of earthquake events that made up this emergence period. And that was that, if you remember, that was that idea that those three events, because of conscription and everyone being encouraged to pitch into the war effort in World War One, and then even more so in World War Two, and then in between them, the Great Depression, everybody was affected by the Great Depression. Everyone's standard of living was lowered. Everyone's wealth was, mm-hmm. was diminished. Um, and some of the government assistance that the Roosevelt administration, the New Deal, instituted, well, that was 
Protestants and Catholics alike, alike. Took, took advantage mm-hmm. of that, right? Um, Protestants and Catholics alike, because of how the army was organized in World War One and World War Two, with with the draft, they served alongside one another. They died alongside one another, right? Um, kids, Catholic kids and Protestant kids, Jewish kids, you know, they were going around the neighborhood and collecting scrap together. Yeah, where or, had it, it had been divisive, right? Like so. Uh, where does it mean the wars and the depression became a unifying uh, yeah in a lot of ways in a lot of ways they did i think that that would be my that would be my argument so and and even if even if protestant and catholic and jewish kids mm-hmm. weren't doing that kind of collecting scrap metal for the war effort literally together that was a that was something that those individual communities they were doing that. It was a, it was a similar effort towards assisting the nation in its hour of need that they were all doing on a, in a, on a wide scale across the country. So, so Catholic Americans, you know, they emerged out of this exile mm-hmm. um, because of those three events, and so. What you have at the end of World War II, then I call this entry period, this entry into the mainstream, that's kind of 45 to 1960. So, you know, that's really the 1950s, like the what we think of as kind of the quote-unquote golden age of American Catholicism, right? Mm-hmm. Well, were there Catholic universities established? When did the... You know, if you, I can still hear Matthew Kelly uh, encouraging us to be proud of being, you know, every day the Catholic Church educates more people. Sure. You know, the hospital system the feeds more people, clothes more. So when did, I, I'm not that great at history. So asking, you know, when did Catholic universities and Catholic hospitals start uh, becoming... Yeah. That's uh, noticeable in the United States. That that parochial school system, the hospital system, um, all of the the orphanages that were staffed mm. by the various yes. religious sisters and their orders, um, Notre Dame, uh, Georgetown University, Catholic University of America, and all the other smaller Catholic institutions, a lot, Catholic universities and colleges. You know, a lot of those are being built in that exile period Mm -hmm. because what American Catholics are doing is since they're kind of, you know, they're frozen out more or less from attendance at the most elite universities, a lot of the private schools, um, they built their own institutions. They built their own institutions and they provided for one another at the parish level, which was at the community level, at the neighborhood level. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I mean, I remember in in Denver, Colorado, in nineteen in the nineteen seventies, the mid the mid nineteen seventies. So this is well past the exile period. Mm-hmm. This is well into the entry period, right? There was still no question on the part of my my parents that I was going to be born at St. Anthony Hospital. That was the Catholic hospital yeah. in Denver. There's no question that my grand my grandfather was going to, you know, be treated 
by the by the doctors for his cancer and he was going to die at St. Anthony's Hospital. That's just that's where you went for for your care. So, I think I think that that just that became a um that became a very much a marker of Catholic life that you you participated in those Catholic institutions. Yeah. What and was that, how well, was that, here, how here, did that jive with here your Here locally, uh, well, because I lived between Bryan and Caldwell, uh, we had a mission, we have San Salvador Mission Church right. that was out in the country, uh, but we were, you know, under the coverage of St. Anthony's, but, you know, and I think along with that, the world was, you know, the world was different. You know, you lived in a neighborhood and you attended a church in your neighborhood but here locally St. Anthony's was right next to St. Joseph's Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. Uh, I personally all of our family was born in Hearn because my mother was from there and had a relationship with her OBGYN was in Hearn but right. that's still only 20 but all of our experience was that's the hospital even to this day I would want to go to St. Joseph's even though it's well, we could talk for hours about what it is now, but it's still a Catholic hospital. And, you know, that was like the mindset. Yeah. I mean, there, and there's, I mean, we delivered our last baby at St. Joseph's. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not lying here. There is a certain sense of comfort and there's a certain degree of um, familiarity and, and feeling at home. Rooted, maybe rootedness. Absolutely. When you're when you're in that hospital room and you look up and there's, and a, there's crucifix. a crucifix over the door mm-hmm. for whatever you want to say about you know their treatment protocol for COVID or other experiences that people might have had had or have had at St. Joseph's, it still has that Catholic quote unquote identity, mm-hmm. right? Um, that that means a lot. It does to me. It, it does mean a lot. Um, and we and we can debate. We could debate that with yeah. somebody else who might have a different perspective, but um, I yeah I think so yeah that just that great web of Catholic institutions across the country that's all being built in that exile period mm-hmm. and it's still and then they're still even coming of age in in the emergence period and are part of what made possible um, the entry into the cultural mainstream. Um, that I was just men- just mentioning, but you know, you, when you get to nineteen, everything is capped. That entry is capped off in nineteen sixty. Why did I pick nineteen sixty? I'm gonna put you on the spot. Here in the United States, yeah, I would say because of President Kennedy. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So John Kennedy, first Catholic elected as president. I think we talked last time about Al Smith's candidacy in 1928 he was the first catholic candidate of a major party democratic party um and we talked about the just out and out anti-catholic bigotry uh, from the kkk and other anti-catholic forces against his Mm -hmm. his candidacy and that was part of what torpedoed him but 1928 and 1960, it's a very different world, right? Very different world. Uh, 1928 is on the cusp of the Great Depression and before World War II. And so the country goes through the Great Depression 
in World War II, everything that I explained in that emergence um, era and sets up Kennedy. And Kennedy is a product of those of that seismic event of World War II that that capped off the emergence era, right? He's I mean, he was young, he was good looking, but he was more, veteran. He was, yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. He was a Navy veteran, uh, Purple Heart winner, decorated. He had written um you know, his story of the PT-109 mm-hmm. was, was, had been made into a movie. Um, he had written a, uh, he, I think he talked about his experience in his best-selling book, Profiles in Courage, where he went through, um, I think it was 12 stories of courageous, you know, moral moral and physical courage through history uh, that he covered in that book. Uh, he was from remember that he was from a very wealthy, influential Boston family, the Kennedys. His, and his father, Joseph P. Kennedy Sr., um, prefigured Kennedy's rise, and he was, he was kind of an early indicator of this emergence entry dynamic Maybe people don't know, but Joseph Kennedy was Franklin Roosevelt's um, ambassador to Great Britain during the late 1930s, early 40s, when everything with the World War II, the, the lead up to the to World War II is happening. So there is a Catholic in a Democratic administration with a pretty high profile, pretty important um, position. You know, he's not the ambassador to the Holy See, to the mm-hmm. Vatican. He's the ambassador to the United Kingdom, um, which is a... a Protestant majority country. Great. I want to remind American our listeners ambassador. that this is a live program. And if you'd like to join in the conversation with Thaddeus and I, we'd love to uh, have you call in. You can do that at 855-683-7332. And we're um, about in the middle of our talk about the uh, Catholic Church in the United States uh, since Vatican II. And... Um, couple of points that we have talked about is the election of John F. Kennedy as our president in the 60s, and all of that kind of parallels with Vatican II and the changing of, of the uh, church as I knew it as a child and uh, other people my age. And I, I often kind of wonder, because, I mean, I was eight or so, so you know, the most recent times we've had some um, new translations, uh, updates to our Catholic faith. We've been told about, and, you know, communication and information is out there for all of us. And if you're an intentional Catholic, you're kind of studying those kind of things and why did, and with your spirit, and also with you, and now back, you know, why did that happen? But I, I wonder how much. Teaching and explanation came down through the parishes to the congregations, because for me, it was just one day it was this way and the next day it was the other. So I wonder. Um, yeah, so that's going to be part of my my two words to talk about the Vatican Council, the Second Vatican Council, are expectations and experience. And that what you're talking about is, is that experience piece that Catholics— at the parish level, on the ground, in their normal experience, 
um, like in some cases it was literally overnight that you know a parish went from having vespers on Saturday evening one weekend and then the next weekend there wasn't vespers anymore which is evening prayer like right. communal evening prayer that mm -hmm. used to be a very widespread common devotion parish devotion and that largely disappeared as the, as the 1960s went on. Remember, Vatican II is 1962 to 1965. So it opens right in the middle of John Kennedy's presidency mm -hmm. here. And just a little side note, um, it opened, the council opened two days. I didn't double check this before I spoke this morning, mm -hmm. but I believe it was two days before the announcement of missiles being shipped to Cuba. So there, it was two days before the beginning of the Cuban Missile Crisis in 1962 was the opening of the Second Vatican Council. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I, I want to do more research into, gosh, how did that traumatic, anxiety-producing experience Weird. of the world might be literally coming to an end through nuclear war what what did that do to the the attitudes the priorities of the bishops that were assembled at at the at the council i mean there's a you know there's a big emphasis in the council documents on the the brotherhood of man the the need for world peace the need for religious dialogue um and maybe maybe it was more important in shaping the the vision of the of the council than maybe hmm. we know. So I, that's something that needs more more study. But anyway, um, yeah. So the the council is 1962 to 1965, and it produces all these documents. Many of them that some people might know the you know know the titles of. Um, you have Sacrosanctum Concilium, which is the document on the liturgy. You have a number of others. I'm not going to go through them here. And even though those documents, if you look through them, they they don't they don't mandate the changes that people experienced and saw in their everyday life. But that that other piece, expectation. There was a lot of expectation amongst American Catholics, priests, different, you know, the bishops, um, Catholic intellectuals, um, that this Vatican, this, this, that this council was going to do a lot to reform the faith, to updated. And so these these expectations were positive. There were, there was a wing of the church that wanted reform, re revision. <laughs> That's kind of going on change. right now too. <laughs> right, right. And there was a wing that was not uh was looking at these changes, these expectations with trepidation. They were mm -hmm. worried expectations. Um the documents which are church councils, church councils are in the documents that they produce, did not 
produ- they did not produce these these sweeping wholesale changes. But then how these decrees actually got lived out in dioceses, in parishes, that experience, that was a very different piece. Yeah. Well, I think we are so narrow-minded as humans and as parishioners and as, you know, people in the diocese because we just think it only affects us. But when you think about the all the... The, the Vatican II took place and these papers came out to, to be applied to the whole world, mm-hmm. not just the United States. But then things came to the United States and it was applied as it, apply, as it affected us. But it was meant to apply to the whole universal Catholic Church. And I think that that's a lot of, I never think about it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because, you know, your vernacular, you know, those things that changed for us that you could actually understand what was the words spoken in your native language, that happened everywhere. Right. Yeah, that's, and, and Sacrosanctum, Sacrosanctum Concilium is a great example of what we're talking about here. So the document um, kind of makes provision for the the mass to be said in the vernacular, right? The the propers and the the readings, for example. But it doesn't say it never says that it has to be. In fact, what it says is that Latin is supposed to still have, I think pride of place is the is the phrasing. Um well let's let's be honest here. What is the experience? What has our experience been? in in mass according to that has has latin retained the the pride it's no, private place no and wouldn't most people probably wouldn't we say that probably most people operate from an expectation that the liturgy is going to be in the vernacular well exactly yeah so that's what that's what we're talking about here that the documents what they actually state how things should be is one thing, but then how those were actually applied. carried out and mm-hmm. applied and, and made reality were very different because there were already um, modernist, uh, liberal, progressive, reformist, however, whatever different adjectives you want to use, uh, groups, cliques, uh, elements in the American church that theologians, especially theologians and catechists um, who had a lot of those ranks had, had begun to become populated by lay catechists or lay theologians or, but even, even those theologians who were priests, um, there were significant number of them who I don't want to get too deep in the weeds, but a a school of thought had developed over the let's say fifty years preceding the council of a not only was there a magisterium of the of the bishops, but because a lot of those bishops were not themselves trained theologians, this school of thought and kind of intellectual argument had been made that there was also a parallel magisterium of the theologians 
that that the theologians could pronounce on matters of faith and morals and what and what they said carried equal weight to the magisterium of the bishops be it right or wrong right and so it, with that spirit you know a foot amongst the um, the in the American church and then there were certain bishops who more or less ascribed to that or were at least willing to entertain be open to that it. that view um, that's that's part of the explanation for how you get for how you get uh, that implementation of, of Vatican II. And also I think it's important to remember that um, there was, you know, you, you look back at a bulletin, from, a church bulletin from the 1950s and you see um, maybe six masses on a Sunday and they're eight, nine, 10, 11, noon, mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're right on the hour. Well, those aren't, those aren't those aren't hour long masses that are happening. So that's a yeah. The, the liturgy is being said rapidly. The all the all the movements of the mass are being done very very uh, maybe perfunctorily. And it, there was this attitude of get them in, yeah, checkbox, get them out, and that that could lead to some yeah some checkbox mm-hmm. mentality. So I see that we got about eight minutes left, and I want to get get us back to. Or wrap up with um, a proposal that I think we're that that we're headed back to exile. That history is repeating itself, and the the big reason for that is because right in that moment of entry into the American mainstream, so we're we're swimming now. We're swimming in the the main channel, right? Well, our um. Our confidence and our stability in the changelessness of our Catholic faith is, you know, rattled by the way that Vatican II is implemented in the United States. That so that experience piece, right? And there's already those expectations that are running wild beforehand. Well, then, right in that, so that. Catholics are out of the protection of the of the ghetto. They're out of the protection of the the religious exile, and they're in the mainstream. But their their attachment to their Catholic faith is now maybe weakened be, because they're in the mainstream, and and the possibilities of American life are more open to them. Plus, the instability in in their Catholic faith experience. Is that making sense? Well, right at that same time, the stream itself, the channel itself, changes course. Because and so that's the that's the cultural and social changes of the nineteen sixties and nineteen seventies. So I'll just throw some of these out here. Right on the heels of the entry, you get ban on prayer in public schools, Engel v. Vitale. 1962, same year as the opening of the Vatican Council. Decriminalization of contraception for married couples, Griswold v. Connecticut, 1965, the year that it closes. Similar provision for unmarried people, 
Eisenstadt versus Baird, 1972, legalization of abortion, Roe versus Wade, 1973. We all know that Humanae Vitae was 1968. There was a lot of expect same same kind of expectations about Humanae Vitae that Pope Paul VI was going to provide for contraception. Instead, he maintains Catholic teaching on that, and that set the that set the theologians ablaze. Okay. Farther along, you get bans on statutes that outlawed homosexual relations. Those were barred by Lawrence v. Texas in 2003. Then you have legalization of same-sex marriage in Obergefell v. Hodges in 2015. So you have all these cultural shifts on questions that pretty much for most of the American experience, actually Catholics and Protestants had been aligned on. There hadn't been questions over those, but on those major things, the culture starts to shift and Catholics are now increasingly over time, they're going to be more and more and more and more different than that political, social, cultural, uh, economic mainstream that they've been allowed into Mm -hmm. and that they've started to enjoy participating in. Right. And so, um, there's a great historian out of Arizona state, Donald Critchlow. Um, and he talks about that those social questions like that, especially, um, abortion, equal rights amendment, that debate, which I didn't, I didn't mention, um, prayer in schools, those social and political questions are what drove, quote-unquote, traditional Catholics, those who continued to hold to church teaching. That's what started to shift them into the Republican Party away from the Democratic Party, which had always been the home of American Catholics, which we talked about last time. And Al Smith, Kennedy, both, uh, both of the Democratic Party. And you had, you know, um, Catholics who were wanted to try to, let's say, let's call them accommodationists. They, they wanted to try to find some accommodation between uh, living, out, living out their faith and, and its teachings with the, with the mainstream and how it was how it was changing. And so you get, you know, famously, I have it uh, quoted here in my, my notes, you know, 1984, Mario Cuomo, Mm -hmm. who was uh, governor of New York at that time, he was, he was, uh, he made a speech at Notre Dame university and he, he said, quote, I accept the church's teaching on abortion. Must I insist you do? By law, by denying you Medicaid funding, by a constitutional amendment, his answer was was no. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's where that's part of where you start to see this great divide in the American Catholic Church is all a product of this cycle of exile, emergence, and entry, and then. <sighs> We're going to lose the the E theme, but <laughs> then disruption. Um, and then finally now 
probably probably a moving a movement back towards some kind of of exile. Not it's not clear what that's going to look like, but that seems to be what's what's maybe on the horizon. That was a long <laughs> that was a long uh, <laughs> we're gonna. Monologue. Uh, I, I, Sorry I will for the try monologue, to stumble folks. through saying something while you're trying to have a, a drink of water there. Um, it really is. Uh, and so that was in the 80s when Mario... It was 1984, yeah. yeah. Hmm. Was there a... You know, we have some pretty big name. We keep using our fingers in the hair. Uh, Catholics in, in politics these days that the public is crying out for the church to speak out against yeah, some of Bi- that. President Biden, um, Speaker Pelosi. Correct. Mm-hmm. So we hear that now. Was there reaction to that as a Catholic during that time in the 80s? Was it? I just was a knee jerk question, even though we only have a, a minute or so. I think you, I think so you set us up for uh, maybe a, an episode three. <laughs> Part three. Yeah. So I sure want to thank uh, our listeners for being here today. I want to thank Thaddeus for the information about our church and uh, which we love so much and I wish I had my I am Catholic I love being Catholic shirt on today but uh, stick with us here at Red Sea Roundup Rumors and talking